So we started this series, Josh started, kicked off this series last week where uh, we're looking at misunderstood women in the Bible. And Josh said it, the reason we're doing this series is because one Sunday after church, somebody came up to me and said, I, I'm like cool with your church and everything, but I'm not cool with your God because God hates women. And, and I was like, huh. I looked through the pages of the Bible and I was like, I don't think we know the same God. And I started saying, like, do you know, like, this girl and this woman and this woman and this woman? And they're like, oh, no, I not heard. Like, oh, yeah, they're in the Bible, and God does amazing things through them. Like, who says a woman can't be a, a military hero? Did you all hear last week a woman was a military hero with a Deborah? Isn't that an awesome thing that would blow our minds if we read God's word, Right? This week, we're looking at something a little bit different. We're looking at Delilah and Samson. Now, if we're going to look at women, Jason, why are you bringing up Delilah? Like, Delilah's dead around the corner. Ain't no name of a church, all right? Like, okay, that's weird. But as there are positive and negative examples of men in the Bible, there are positive and negative examples of women in the Bible. But I think what is misunderstood is that Delilah only applies to women. And that Samson only applies to men. No, we can look at both of these figures and we can extrapolate men and women, male or female. We can extrapolate concepts from both of these individuals through the pages of Joshua, or not, sorry, not Joshua, Judges chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, turn to Judges chapter 16. We're going to be there, and we can learn something from both of these figures. Like I prayed, my wife and I just got back uh, from a cruise where we were celebrating 10 years of marriage, and we were, we were talking. Yeah, yeah, it's an awesome thing. No one thought on day one that we would make it, but we did. I'm just kidding, everybody. And uh, no, we did it. And, uh, and many more to go. And so we were, we were looking like, man, like what has God done over the last 10 years? It has been awesome. Ne- never, never did we think that we would have two dogs and that we would have three kids in a home in a church and like, it blew our mind and, and as we were talking we were looking back on the last 10 years both positively and negatively to say like man we we've grown and we've learned and one of the one of the times in our lives where we grew the most was less than a year in our marriage. We were down with some friends uh, uh, vacationing uh, down in Florida and, and I got a phone call saying Jason are, are you sitting down? <laughs> Oh, no, why? And I sat down, and your pastor has fallen and has been having an affair, and when you get back from vacation, life is going to turn upside down for you. And, and on the, so we, that was the first day of our vacation, and we, we, we prayed, we talked, we, we got ourselves ready for what would become a very hard season of life. The next few months and years were hard. And from there, we looked at a man who, who, was, who had such, a, such an impactful ministry, but also through Facebook started to love the women and old lady friends. And, and so Ava and I started having discussions like, how could this not be us? How, what can we learn from this? And what we learned from this individual was that he came from a seminary that, that had many people people graduating from the seminary, going into a pulpit, and then loving the ladies, and then falling away from, falling away from the ministry, and when they, and when the seminary studied all of these fallen pastors, they said, here was the most common phrase of all these people that are now out of the ministry. The most common phrase was, it will never happen to me. I didn't need to guard against ladies because I thought it would never happen to me. 
And so Ava and I sat down, and I had to talk, tell her, I was like, I'm a moment away from an affair. <laughs> now, that's not a fun conversation. Ava responded like, you're like dead silence, like, huh? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> and no, that's not what I mean, Ava, but what I mean is I want that attitude. What I, what I mean is I want to have my guard up so that, I'm, so that I know it could happen at every moment so I could protect myself against it so that we can set up boundaries. Ava, I'd rather you attack me for, for my boundaries being weakened than my morality being weakened. Let's attack the boundaries before we get to the place of the morality being in, in, in place. And, and so Ava and I started putting boundaries so that, that, so that we wouldn't fall out of ministry and say, well, I never thought that would happen to me. And so Samson and Delilah are two individuals that have their guards down, and we have to learn from this. Here's how it starts in Judges chapter 16. Now Samson went to Gaza. Now for you and I, we may not fully understand this, but Gaza is like going into enemy territory. If, if, if uh, Samson is a, is a Jewish person, he's going into enemy Philistine territory, and he's not going to Washington, D.C. or New York City or some coastal type town. It's like him trying traveling through the country and going to what would be like for us, Kansas City. He's so prideful in who he is as, as a military person that he goes intentionally throughout the territory and finds himself into the heart of the territory. And there he saw a prostitute. He obviously cares nothing for God's law. And he went into her. Now the, 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 they were told that Samson, Samson has come here. So he, he doesn't make it a secret. He's not, he's not visiting the prostitute just at night. He, it's not a secret. Samson is there. He's not trying to hide his sin at all. He cares nothing about seeing, see, being seen in enemy, enemy territory. And he cares nothing about being seen with a prostitute. You see pride all of a sudden creeping into this section. And they surrounded the place and they set an ambush for him at night at the gate of the city. And they kept quiet. They kept quiet all night saying, let us wait until light of morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight because he knew he was a wanted man and he didn't, he didn't really care to have his guard up. So he didn't care to, like who cares about their military plan? They, they surround him. And at midnight, he arose and took hold of the doors at the gate of the city and two posts and pulled them up, bar and all. And put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. Now we think that's a hill just like, just like off in the distance. That's 40 miles away. He, he, he took city gates which are known for protecting a whole city that would protect from a whole army coming in and penetrating an entire city. So these aren't just like, this isn't like you go to somebody's backyard and you open up the gate. This is a giant, giant gate that Samson, in his God-given strength, rips up out the ground, puts it on his shoulders, and travels some 40 miles to make a point. Now, the editor, if you look at this section, he goes to a prostitute. And the person writing this, this book doesn't try to hide that Samson is a moral idiot. He, he's not trying to cover up for Samson. And Samson is somebody that understands the plan. He understands what, what the army is going to do. He gets around it. He saves himself, but not his people. He cares more. He, this feat of ripping up the city gate and walking around is a self-serving thing. Because he's just trying to save himself. I am wearing Celtics green because I am from Boston. I, don't want, I didn't want you guys to get confused like I support the Jets or the Eagles. 
Uh, those are not two. I like classy organizations as somebody that grew up uh, in New England. Uh, yeah, like I like the classiness that is Tom Brady and, and Robert Kraft and all of those individuals. And, uh, and sadly, I, I do have to say that now kiddingly, don't I? Because Robert Kraft is now in the media. Robert Kraft, what, what first came out, and when it first came out, I had all my college buddies in my fantasy football league texting me, and they weren't saying very nice things that could be repeated from the stage. <laughs> and uh, Robert Kraft at first was said to be part of a sex trafficking ring down in, 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 uh, in Jupiter, Florida. He had visited this place. He was part of this group of men that was trafficking out women. And at first, all of these reports were like, oh, my gosh, somebody that I at one point respected has now done some really heinous, disrespectful things. But, but as, as days went on, it, it, he, he wasn't necessarily part of the sex trafficking ring or, or at that level that he knew two women outside of this uh, parlor, if you will, and that he very likely went in there paid some money, had not the act of sex, but sexual acts with the exchange of money. <laughs> and it's the old-fashioned uh, back rub with a happy ending. He had one of those situations. <laughs> and so now you have all the Boston media saying, well, everybody does that. Every, every, every man at some point has gone and gotten a back rub and had a little, little extra something at the end of it. And so now Boston media outlets are now justifying what this old man had done because he's just like so many other people in the culture. And culture, as I read, Boston media now is now screaming, this isn't that big of a deal. By law, it's a misdemeanor. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, I can't join you in the culture and say, even if he knew these women, he exchanged money for an act. As I look at the pages of the Bible, I can't be so quick, even if culture is to say it's not a big deal. I can't look at something that disgraces the name of God and say it's not a big deal. Because whether it's sin for craft, sin for the pastor, sin for the business owner, sin for culture, sin is a very big deal for the male or the female because it disgraces the name of God. Anything that put my Jesus on a Savior, uh, on a cross, is a very big deal that we have to take to heart. And what it does to Samson, we might look at this and say, not a big deal. He went to a shrine prostitute or a prostitute of sorts. It may not look like a big deal, but it strengthens his pride and, thinks he, and where he thinks he's infallible. So this is how now the story continues. After this, he loved a, uh, a woman in the valley of Sirach. Now, this is an area known for vineyards, so he's likely drinking and taking part in now boozing and cruising, if you will. He's flirting with forbidden things, whose name was Delilah and the lords of the Philistines. So now... They get involved. They say the lords of the Philistines, these five individuals, these are, these are people that are in charge of different providences. So now all, all of the, the key figures in this nation, five individuals, he has now nationwide publicity. He, he's now he's, he's a national uh, menace. So now, they, now these key leaders in the whole country are now getting together. They came up to her and said to her, now pause, if you're with Delilah and you guys are you're in a little bit of a relationship, she has to, she's not going to meet with these five individuals with Samson present. So now she's sneaking away. Now she's going behind Samson's back to have these private conversations with key figures in the country. But Samson does, has his guard down. He's in enemy territory, but his guard is down. He doesn't even care. And what they say to her is seduce him. 
and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to humble him and we will give you one each of you each of us will give you 100 uh, 1100 1100 pieces of silver they know samson is an incredibly strong person but they know that he has a weakness with the ladies and so they find a lady who would be willing to play into her her being as a woman and seduce him for information they found a willing person in delilah to for they use her not because oh we have so much respect for you Delilah they use her because they know that she's going to be willing they're using her for selfish gain and they pay her an extraordinary amount of money this this figure of about 500 and, and what it was it would be 5,500 shekels of silver that each one, each five of these princes paying 1100 this is a lot of money. For you and I, this would equate to about 550 years worth of wages. If you take the average income of $60,000 for an individual, if that is what she's making, if that's a rough, fair estimate of a year's wages, you know what that equates to? $33 million. So what's the range? If it's 10 million or 50 million, whatever it is, it's a butt ton of money that they go to Delilah and say, we will give you so much money to get a secret from him. He's a muscular man. They know that this, this could lead to Delilah's death. They know, that, they know that she's risking a lot, and they also know that they need this secret. And so they go after her with a whole bunch of money, and the question becomes, what would you and I do for a lot of money? Where would we lack integrity for a whole lot of money? Now, when I meet with my college buddies or when I'm out for people that I don't typically know and I'm trying to start conversation, like, I think outside the box. Like, I'm kind of a weird person in, in conversations and social settings and stuff. And so sometimes I like to throw a question out on the table just, like, like, like completely off the wall just to spark conversation. And, uh, and so sometimes one of my go-to questions has always been, like, how much would it cost for a company to pay you for your forehead? And, and, I, and I follow up with like, okay, so if Pepsi wanted to tattoo your forehead with the Pepsi logo and you, have to, and you have to display your forehead with the tattoo of Pepsi for the rest of your life, you can never cover it up. How much would your forehead cost for advertising? And that, it's a very weird question. I acknowledge like not a normal human being would ask a question like that, but also what is not normal is when somebody says, well, if it's a free tattoo, I'll do it. Or, or I would do it for a hundred bucks or normally then typical answer is usually a million dollars. A million dollars, you can buy my forehead. And, and I don't necessarily know what my price would be, but we would do a whole lot of things for money, would we not? I want to celebrate for a second somebody that's a dear friend, a family, the, the Engrofs, that are dear friends to me. She was working in, as lead of our GE, and then, and then she, she was convicted that she wanted to put more time into her family. And so, so she, she leaves her paid position here at, here at Wellspring, and she was going to do more, a little bit more with nursing, but also be able to invest more into her family. And as she's transitioning out of Wellspring, as she's transitioning back into a, a nurse for hospice, she, she was then confronted with an option. You can work part-time, which part-time pay, or you can work full-time with full-time pay. And, and so she was, she was looking at that. And, and recently in a sermon, we had, we had discussed how we need to let family values and family priorities guide how we make decisions. 
And, and so I was praying with, with the family, praying for them, and she, and she was getting advice from us and whatnot. And she was like, well, well, if I go the route of a full-time job, like that goes against my priorities for family, but it helps us now financially. And, and what I loved hearing was that she made a decision to take the part-time pay for one reason. Her priorities were her family, and she wanted to invest into her families, and everything else would work out. And so she's a woman that didn't allow money to guide and change her morality, her morals, her, her, her priorities, her, her values. And I'm so thankful for that. God looks at, or, or these men look at, look at Delilah and say, we can offer her money. We can take her seductive power as a woman and say, we can use that for negative, selfish gain. And does that mean that as we look at this story, because, because Delilah does that, that Samson is without fault? No. In this, in this story, both of them are stupid. Both of them are people that we don't want to look at them and say, man, they are both at fault. And they both struggle with pride. They both struggle with self-interest. And so where is pride going to become your downfall? Where would you say, well, well, she's the seductive type. That would never be me until it's not. Where do you look at your outer strength with muscles and say, well, my outer strength must mean that I have inner strength until it's not? Does your appearance on the outside lead to how you treat men or, men or women? Does, when, you, when, you look at, when you look at people asking you questions, why do they go to Delilah? Because they knew that she might welcome this. So if somebody's going to you with the temptation to do wrong things, to, to, to lie on an expense report, or to lie on a timesheet, or to do something that is immoral, two questions must be asked. Who am I hanging out with that they want me to do stupid, awful things? And the second question that you have to ask is why do they think that I would be willing? What do I communicate, like, what am I putting off that they might think that I would be willing to, to, to do this to a man or to, do, or to cheat or to lie or to do whatever? It has to ask a question of ourselves that I would, I would welcome this in my life? No. And so here's how it plays out. So, so Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your strength lies and how you might uh, be bound so that, so that I could subdue you. She's not hiding a darn thing. <laughs> she says very bluntly, what I want to have happen. Tell me your secret because I want to take over you. <laughs> and he's blinded by self-satisfaction, so he plays a little bit of a game. <laughs> what, like, think about it, like, what good is it going to come from Delilah knowing this information? Nothing. But Samson plays along. Samson said to her, if you bind me with seven fresh bowstrings uh, that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then, then, uh, then the lords of the Philistines brought her up, uh, brought to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried up, and she bound him with them. Now she had the men lying in ambush of the inner chamber, and she said to him, "The Philistines are upon you, Samson." Now think about this: if you're Samson, if your guard is up, you told her a lie, but in lying to her, she acted upon the lie. So now you know. She really means what she's going to say, that if you tell her, she's going to do something about it. All right? So, but Samson is like, oh, this is all fun, okay? But he snapped the bowstrings out like a thread on a flax of snaps when it, when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. And Delilah said to Samson, behold, you have mocked. I don't know how she sounded. But behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, another lie, if you bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Samson isn't angry that she acted upon, and so he just keeps lying in his lust for her. 
So Delilah took new ropes and bound him and, 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 uh, with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson, and the men lying in ambush were in the inner chamber. But he snapped the ropes off his arm like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Now tell me how you might be bound. He's, she's acted upon his lies twice now. And, and he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it, tight with a pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Now he's flirting, flirting with evil because the secret of his strength lies in what God has with his hair. And so now he's flirting with evil and he makes up these crazy stories. He's a very imaginative person. Uh, And so while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web and she made them tight with the pin. And she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the pin from the loom and the web. And he said to him, how, how can you say you love me and that I love you? You know, like how like that would come across in the text, like, I love you. Uh, when your heart is not with me, you have mocked me these three days, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. Now, if we know two things about Samson, he is very imaginative, and he's a very sound sleeper because all this is happening in his sleep. And she's not getting anywhere, and so she says, how can you say that you love me? How can you use the words, I love you, I love you, I love you? And Samson is, is seemingly playing along. He's not arguing that, that love, but, but, but the love that I know is not self-seeking. The love that I know is kind. The love that I know isn't rude. The love, the love that I know isn't revengeful. The love that I know doesn't keep any records of wrong. The, the love that I know isn't, isn't any of these things. The love that I know isn't easily angered. And so this, isn't, this situation isn't built on love because love isn't at play in any of this. What's, what's at play here is lust. They're both confusing lust with love. And, and so now they're, they're, they're going these routes of like, oh, I, I want your body. And now I'm going to use the word love to get you to do things that you shouldn't be doing. And I'm going to say things. Oh, like, how can you say you love me? Sleep with me. Like, no, you idiot. Don't do it. That's not love. That's lust. We do, when, when our crutch, when our vices in life don't work, what happens? We go to other vices. You, one of the reasons I can say that is because some of us have this vice of social media and communicating and saying things and, and communicating with other people until, until Facebook and all of their stupidity switches their servers and we survived the great blackout of Instagram and Facebook for about 12 hours. We're all scrolling our phones like, my story isn't updating me he's not texting me back and there were phones that were destroyed and life ended for so many people because Zuckerberg switched the servers this week (laughs) what did you do to survive the blackout you know what people did (laughs) you know what saw a boost (laughs) in their ratings and in their usage Pornhub. People stopped using social media, and one site saw a huge increase while Facebook had its blackout and Instagram had its blackout. Pornhub. Because when one vice doesn't work, we gravitate to the other. Here's are two people blinded by love, lust. It would never happen to me. And it led Samson to exploit women. Nowhere in the Bible is God good with exploiting women. 
God's standards for the treatment of women is to treat them with the highest standard of respect, majesty, dignity, because if men and women are equally built and made in the image of God the creator, then we treat everybody with respect. Samson does not see that. And so, so Samson, Samson would be one that would go to the porn. Samson would be one that would go to the affairs. Samson would be one that would go to the sexting and say, it's not a big deal until it is a very big deal. He goes to this vice. They go to these vices and sex and money. And, and these things prove to have a seductive nature in their own lives and they succumb to it. You got the promotion, and you've made more money. You took the promotion saying, it will make me more generous. Has it made you more generous when money was dangled in front of your eyes? When you got the promotion, have your morals slipped because money has this way of gripping you? To, to say that sexual sin, I believe that there's somebody in this room that like, why did I come to church today that they're talking about Samson and Delilah? Like, this is weird, but there I know that there will be people today that need this out. It's time for that gut check of where sexual sin might be creeping at the door, ready to engulf you. Take heed of this warning that God is dropping in your lap right now. Because Samson will be vexed to death by a woman thinking that he has no other option but to tell her the secret. All he has to do is run, 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 have nothing to do with it. And so this is how the story then plays out. And he told her all of his heart and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's room uh, in my head. Uh, if my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. His appearance is normal, but the secret lies in what God does through his hair. He's supposed to be separate. His hair is an object lesson of holiness to be set apart, to be seen as different. Samson, in this day and age, has probably longer hair than anybody else. And he knows full well that he is supposed to be set apart for the purposes of God. And when Delilah saw that he had told her with all of his heart, he sent and called the lords of the Philistines, because at this point they left. And now she needs to get them back. But he doesn't, she doesn't love Samson, right? Like, she's trying to get the dude killed saying, come up again, for, for he has told me with all of his heart. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. Payday is coming for Delilah. She made, him sleep, uh, on, he, she made him sleep on her knees, and she said to, to a man and had them shave off the seven locks of his head. And, and then she began to torment him, and his strength left and she, and she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. He thought in his pride that he could take, on, take this on like he had done it in so many times past. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza where this whole story began for us and bound him with bronze shackles and ground and, and he ground at the mill in the prison that was something reserved for, for prisoners and for slaves but his hair be, on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved there's a proverb that says a scoop uh, uh, can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned Samson 
Satan did not have his guard up. He thought, I can, I can flirt with women. I can do things with women. I can flirt with my own strength, and it will never cost me a thing. Time and time again, the wall of his pride was building up, and the fire on his lap eventually took hold, and he was burned. The hypocrisy of Delilah is, is saying, love, 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 all the while I want to seek your utter destruction. That is hypocrisy. She knows she's going to, he's going to be captured. And unimaginable things are going to happen to him. His eyes are plucked out. And now he takes a position of a slave. Grinding at a mill in a city where he once took the city gate. He has now been utterly humbled. Knowing. Knowing full well that the secret of his strength was never in something that he could do. The secret of his strength was that God set him apart and was going to do something meaningful through him. But in his pride, he became apathetic and took God for granted. This wasn't his first compromise. It was compromise after compromise after compromise. Where might you and I be compromising? But here's grace. The story ends with this little, little cliff note. His hair began to grow. God's not done with him. See, only, only God can take what should be a wasted life and do something incredibly awesome with it. Because we won't read this, but fast forward a little bit. His hair grows back, and he prays to God, God, let me have a victory in your name of sorts. And he, pull, he pulls down pillars in his strength, and it comes, uh, walls come tumbling down. And, he, and he's able, as a judge, to protect the people of Israel as he, as he puts a blow into the people of the Philistines. Like God does something crazy as his hair begins to grow. Be, but, but, he, but, but, but without that, it's not a wasted life. Wouldn't you and I look at people that should be so gifted in, in their strength, in their brains, and whatever it might be, and say, what a wasted life. Like, even Delilah is, has, has a gift in of herself. There's a reason they go to Delilah, because she's, she's good with people, if you will. Like, what if those purpose, what if their strengths, what if, their, what if the positive things in their life would only have been used for good? Haven't you thought that about other people before? Man, they are so gifted. I wish they were doing something good with their life. Maybe you didn't say it out loud because that's a weird thing to say to somebody, but maybe you thought it. I had a high school, I had a, my high school teacher, his name was Sashi, and he was brilliant. He used to do contract work for NASA. They would, he, they would, they would get him to do like all the mathematical stuff to help get them people to the moon and to whatever and other things. And I was like, oh, that's so weird. But he was brilliant. But he was also like the dude that wore work boots and, and gym shorts and his bowl, his mobile uh, shirt. And he would like come to, come to school like, what are you wearing? But he was just, he just didn't care. And, uh, and so he there wasn't big on deadlines. He was just like, I'm really smart so I can teach you guys how to be smart. And so, and I wasn't smart but I had to take one of his classes, and he would, like, take an equation, like, uh, like the Pagradium theorem or something like that, like, these, like, high-level, like, like, high schools, I don't know, I would, I, D's get degrees, he did something, and he would be like, give me a number, and we'd be like, oh, no, 132, and he'd be like, okay, and then all of a sudden, the equation that we were doing would end up being 132, and we're like, oh, my gosh, like, he, and he was just, he was brilliant, and one of the jokes amongst my friends when I visit my high school buddies is how many of us get phone calls now from Sashi. Because in his brains, he has gone to gambling. And we get phone calls. Some of us have played a, a text message or a voicemail where he's like, dude, I need you to call me back within 24 hours or I'm a goner. Because he's getting himself in so much trouble with his brains. Now, I'm now fast forward from high school. I'm now able to work with Jillian. Jillian has also done work for NASA. She's one of the most brilliant people I've ever met. I've sat around a table where she came in all geeky about like Mars or something. And I'm like, 
I know Mars is a planet, but, like, apparently, like, we landed on Mars or something, or something happened with Mars, and she was, like, watching it on TV or something. I don't know, but she was, like, my kids were watching it. I was, like, my kids watch sports. Like, I don't understand. And, but she was all geeked out about it, and after 30 minutes of talking with her, I was, like, I, the Patriots won the Super Bowl. I don't know. Like, what are we, what are we, what are, what are we doing here? And she's one of the most brilliant people I've met, but come to find out, she doesn't love sending people to the moon or to the stars. She loves the God of the moon or the stars. That she loves putting her knowledge to use by, by working and shaping the minds of our young people just a few doors over here. She's, she's using her brains for good use, and her life will not be a waste as she's investing it into the kingdom of God. Samson and Delilah struggle with self-interest. An inordinate amount of mind, an inordinate amount of, of thought going into who they are. Self-interest serves, when that serves as your motivational factor, failure is lurking. So here's our big thought for the morning that I want us to take away from the pages of Judges 16 is that God uses our pride to bring humility. Where do you find yourself to be most prideful? God might, where you build up walls of pride, God is going to speak into those areas and break down those walls to bring humility. Samson is one who struggled with lust, foolishness. He was apathetic. He was selfish. He was revengeful. And God spoke into those areas of his pride to humble him. Our pride will blind us, and in blinding us, it becomes a fertile ground for God to open up our eyes to see things that we don't see things too clearly. I want us to see how both Samson and Delilah are not virtuous people, and how they abuse their God-given qualities for evil use. We value endless growth, which means that we want to wake up every day and be like, I'm not exactly like Jesus today. I want to become more and more like Jesus. So this means as we look at this passage, it doesn't, we don't look at this and say, well, this doesn't speak to me. Yes, it does speak to me because I have room to be more and more like Jesus. So if you're good with people, do you use that to, to get people to the bedroom or to the kingdom? If you're a strong leader, are you leading people to God or to yourself? Are you, if you're a strong builder of organizations, are you building God's kingdom or your kingdom? In your pride, do you say that this is for other people or that I might need to realize this? I might need to, I might, there might be areas that I'm blind to. And so for you and I, if we don't fully see it, this might be the time to ask somebody else to help us identify an area of weakness and pride as we self-assess. And so that is my challenge for us this week. My challenge for us is the hardest challenge I've ever given to Wellspring Church because should we all, and we all need to take this challenge, it's going to lead to very hard conversations. This week will not be fun as we ask a trusted friend, where might God need to humble me? A trusted friend who won't tell us what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. As I wrote this, I texted Wheels, Graham, and Ava a group text message because this convicted me, and the message said this, feel free to message me privately. But I'm studying Samson and Delilah for a future sermon. This was like six months ago. I'm really gripped by how God humbles us in our areas of greatest pride. I'm overwhelmed by how, we, how, how, he, how he needs to humble us in, some, in our areas of strength. God turns pride, but he can, he can turn it into potential and impact the kingdom. Samson squandered potential with his pride. He was blind to his proud behavior. Is there an area where I am prideful? 
Is there an area that God might need to humble me? I don't want to be a pastoral statistic. I don't want to be like, and I named a few pastors that had fallen out of ministry. I appreciate you taking the time to let me know what you see. I'd rather be hurt with an honest response than having God have to humble me. So your response to me is a gift. Thank you. And it led to a journey of working on things where God was saying, Jason, you're, hum- you're prideful in these areas. Get your crap together or I will force you to get your crap together. Might we send a text message somewhat like that? Because I pray that that hard conversation will be so much better than God humbling you without a conversation like that. Keep your guard up where pride might blind. And so we're going to end with a, a time of, of communion where we're going to, to look and, and, to, and to contemplate. And so we're going to start playing some, some music behind us. But I, as you guys got communion cups on your way in, I, I just want us to, to take a time to, to contemplate the goodness of God. But as we do that, yes, he died. He forgives. He pushes us forward. But as we come to the communion table, we also recognize that our sin put Jesus on the cross, that our sin is not to be taken lightly. And so I just want to pause for a second. And might there be an area that you already know God needs to humble you in? Would you take a moment now to contemplate, to confess, and then we will celebrate. But let's contemplate and confess right now in this moment. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he started by giving thanks. Let's pray. God, I thank you for a moment, a moment of quietness where we can look upon you and to say, God, you are holy. God, any sin that you died for, we must take serious because you took sin, so all sin, so serious that you killed your son on my behalf. So, Father, in this moment where I might be prideful, convict me. Humble me now. And in the confession of sin, Father, may it not just be words, but may I truly want to live a life different, set apart, holy before you. I love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, he passed it around to his disciples, and he said, as often as you get together, Take this bread as a reminder that my body will be broken on your behalf. Let's eat the bread together. In the same way, he took a cup. The cup itself represented a a new covenant, but inside the cup was wine, was was juice that, that would represent the blood that would be spilt to pay for said new covenant, to be paid for said new promise. And he said, as often as you get together... Take this cup in remembrance that my blood will be spilt for you. Let's take this cup. And we, 
get to do this, celebrating that we don't serve a dead God, but he's alive. He's a God of life change. And let me just close by, by reading this letter to you guys that we got as I was gone on vacation. Here's, here's a letter that I got that I, I love about our church. Dear Wellspring Church, I wanted to personally thank you for the outpouring of love and help that you gave the community today with the free gas day. She went home and wrote this letter. I was able to participate in it, and it came at a time where I was so very much needed this help. Your generosity and help had compa- and compassion to those in need is amazing. I'm a recent domestic violence survivor. And she goes on to write a letter uh, about how, how she just recently is divorced because of domestic violence. And she has a child suffering and struggling. And how she doesn't know how she can afford to get her child now to chop to get medical services that were needed. And when she saw our free gas day, she was like, that's it. I get to have a week where I get to get my child to chop to get medical attention that is needed. I read that and I was like, this is so awesome that we get to help and to bless people and to show the love of Jesus to people that are truly in need. But here's what I was tempted to do. Take this from a place of pride. Well done, church. Well done, Jason. Keep going, but it's from a place of pride. God will humble us in this area. I want to read a letter like this, and I want to stay humble saying this mission is not about one man or one person or one group of people, that this mission will keep us humble if we make it about the name of Jesus, loving people in the name of Jesus, pointing them to the name of Jesus. Stay humble around the name of Jesus and declare his powerful name. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to stay connected, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Facebook or Instagram, and if you would like to help us with our mission of igniting a craving for Jesus by relentlessly loving our community, you can find the link to give and all the other ways to connect with us down in the description box below.